Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And here we come to the end of the road. And I can let you go, Elon Musk in Twitter, but maybe not other Twitter users. We've got a lot to discuss here as Elon Musk has finalized his purchase of social media platform Twitter, ending at about 25 videos, the long virtual legality saga of whether Elon Musk wanted to buy it, whether he wanted to sue him, whether they wanted to sue him back, and all ending with Mr. Musk as the new CEO and head of the newly privatized Twitter Corporation. Now, before we get into the details of what is day one of the Twitter takeover, I do want to remind folks this is a channel supported by viewers and listeners like you. So if you could hit the like, the subscribe, anything else, if you enjoy these conversations and or supporting the channel through our Utreon or our Patreon, I would very much appreciate it. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about here in virtual reality, just hang on. None of that was for you. Let's talk about Elon Musk, who tweeted out about 10 minutes before midnight last night, putting paid to the lie, of course, that the deal had officially closed, as we saw traversing social media, including the Twitter platform itself, throughout the day yesterday, as was discussed in Hangouts and Headlines uh, yesterday as well. The bird is freed because Elon Musk is nothing if not a troll tweeter. He won't say anything with specifics. He only tweets out things like, the bird is freed, or let the good times roll. (laughs) Now, even to that mere existence of Elon Musk as the new head and owner of Twitter, we've gotten a assortment of responses, including from folks in the EU. In Europe, the bird will fly by our rules. Hashtag DSA. And in other contexts, Elon Musk himself talking to what would be the current and future advertisers on his platform, which remember, doesn't make a ton of sense to buy at the price that he is purchasing at because Twitter's never really been great at making revenue. So what does Elon Musk have to say about the people calling him out on a very silly deal? He says the following, I wanted to reach out personally to share my motivation in acquiring Twitter. There has been much speculation about why I bought Twitter and what I think about advertising. Most of it has been wrong. The reason I acquired Twitter is because it is important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthy manner without resorting to violence. There is currently great danger that social media will splinter into far right wing and far left wing echo chambers that generate more hate and divide our society. In the relentless pursuit of clicks, much of traditional media has fueled and catered to those polarized extremes, as they believe that is what brings in the money. But in doing so, the opportunity for dialogue is lost. Now, before we even get to the next page of Elon Musk's statement here, you see some of the things we've identified about Elon Musk covering even just this transaction, which is... He is a very self-aggrandizing type figure. You see, it is important to the future of civilization. You don't ordinarily have those kinds of communications with advertisers or prospective advertisers. But you also see what he is describing is very much similar to the ethos, the mission statement of us here on the Hoaglaw YouTube channel and virtual legality in and of itself, which is reasonable minds can differ. That discourse and dialogue is important. You don't have to resort to violence. You don't have to resort to name calling. And at least on its face, this is a message that I can get behind. Continuing, that is why I bought Twitter, says Mr. Musk. I didn't do it because it would be easy. I didn't do it to make more money. I did it to try to help humanity, which I love. And I do so with humility, 
recognizing that failure in pursuing this goal, despite our best efforts, is a very real possibility. And again, we see that kind of notion. This is civilization saving. This is bought to try to help humanity. Now, if we're going to give the benefit of the doubt to a statement like this, one way that we could do it, and this was followed up on by tweets that we saw, text messages that we saw between Mr. Musk and Jack Dorsey, the former CEO of Twitter, is this notion that the reason he is purchasing it outright, the reason he is no longer investing in it or keeping it public right now is because you could have a belief that this particular platform, this particular service can't really make money if it is going to be as free as Elon Musk suggests he wants it to be. That others are going to be offended. There's going to be discourse that advertisers aren't necessarily going to like. He's trying to convince them that that won't be the case here, but that he didn't purchase it to make money. And that's why he took it private. That's why he became the sole owner of the platform, because while he has fiduciary obligations to himself by the technical rule of the law, it's very unlikely he will sue himself unless he becomes Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. And as much as some Twitter users seem to favor that outcome for Mr. Musk, I doubt it very much as likely to happen. Continuing with his statement, that said, Twitter obviously cannot become a free-for-all hellscape. Well, right now it's a moderated hellscape, so we'll see where anything can be said with no consequences. In addition to adhering to the laws of the land, the various lands, it might be better said, because Elon Musk has said, and I think rightly so, he's going to follow the various laws of the jurisdictions. That becomes a question when you get into kind of totalitarian countries, but we'll save that for another day. In addition to adhering to those laws of the land, our platform must be warm and welcoming to all. Okay where you can choose your desired experience according to your preferences, just as you can choose, for example, to see movies or play video games ranging from all ages to mature. So he would see Twitter potentially have something like, show me the family-friendly version. Now, of course, the question there becomes, okay, you're not banning people anymore with moderation, but in order to have a family-friendly version, you have to have someone somewhere sitting in some location or a robot that goes and says, this isn't family friendly. And at the time where you are doing that, you're going to get into the same kind of frictions as Twitter of today. So a lot of self-aggrandizing, a lot of stuff I like very much. Reasonable Minds can differ as a thesis statement, but the facts on the ground, the logistics behind this do in fact give me pause. I also very much believe that advertising when done right can delight, entertain, and inform you. He's a corporate guy. He's talking to advertisers. The delight in commercials. It can show you a service or product or medical treatment that you never knew existed, but is right for you. For this to be true, it is essential to show Twitter users advertising that is as relevant as possible to their needs. Low relevancy ads are spam, but highly relevant ads are actually content. Fundamentally, Twitter aspires to be the most respected advertising platform in the world that strengthens your brand and grows your enterprise. To everyone who has partnered with us, I thank you. Let us build something extraordinary together. So this is the morning, I believe 9 a.m. yesterday of the day that Elon Musk would ultimately buy Twitter. It wasn't purchased until later that day. And you can see why people reacted very strongly to this, not just because it's a little bit self-aggrandizing and it's a little bit unbelievable that you could say, hey, we're going to have an area now that we just sort through all our problems. We're going to have wonderful discourse. It's also going to be warm and inviting and not talking about the logistics there, but also because as we saw, it's all in past tense, right? I acquired Twitter. So, hmm. 
Now, this doesn't actually go in any realm as official until later in that day, but people were squawking or tweeting about this as it happened. And as Elon Musk becomes the owner of it very late at night yesterday night, you start to see people on Twitter sowing their wild oats. Or as Drew Harwell says here in his own tweet, an emboldened cast of trolls has spewed racist slurs and Nazi memes onto Twitter in the hour since Elon Musk freed the bird. Musk says no free-for-all hellscape, but hate is already rampant. One post screaming the N-word has more than 4,000 likes. And indeed, that has been shown around on Twitter. Others that you might be familiar with on this channel or otherwise, like Taylor the Wren says, it's like the gates of hell opened on this site tonight. And I had my own commentary on it while just tweeting out one of my favorite movies of all time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. I can't do it nearly as well as Bill Murray in Ghostbusters, but that is how it felt last night. To some extent, some legitimate, very much of it overly hyperbolic, right? There are a lot of people that felt, apparently at least as presented on Twitter and other social media platforms, that the sky had fallen in, the roof had caved in, that they were no longer safe in this space that they loved so much. And yet, for the most part, most people's experience with Twitter and any other social media platform that changes ownership or heads is unlikely to change so much on the ground in the moment time moment reality. In fact, many folks probably don't even know Jack Dorsey left less than a year ago. Pedrick Agrawal was put in and nothing much changed. Now that's a continuity of business service. Elon Musk is obviously a very different character. I would expect him to very much bellow about changes, but in the reality, we still have yet to see exactly what is likely to change on Twitter itself. Now, he does bellow, right? So we can look at places where he has been talking about these things. Here's the National Review, much like when we cover anything that has a political slant at all. We do comment on the fact that this is tilted to the right side of the political spectrum in the United States, just like if we were to pull up a Vox article, we would note that it is tilted to the left side. So take that with a grain of salt. Many kind of conservative right side people on Twitter are celebrating because they think Twitter is going to change. I would argue both sides are basically probably wrong on this. But let's see what the National Review has to say. Elon Musk to reverse lifetime bans for Twitter users. Having successfully acquired Twitter after months of legal quagmires, Elon Musk now plans to reverse lifetime bans for Twitter users who were kicked off the platform for various speech infractions. The tech titan doesn't believe in barring an individual from the social media site for life, a source told Bloomberg. Twitter has permanently removed a number of political personalities, many of whom are considered right-wing internet provocateurs or conspiracy theorists. They include Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe, Steve Bannon, Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, and most significantly, former President Trump. The person with knowledge of Musk's account reinstatement intentions said it's unclear whether Trump will be allowed to return to Twitter. President Trump put out a statement last night that said he thought he was going to be allowed to return on Monday. We'll see if that happens. Musk has also decided to clean house in Twitter C-suite, which is really what made the deal official last night, firing major executives as the takeover deal was finalized. He himself intends to replace CEO Parag Agrawal on possibly a temporary basis. Before he passes on the position in the long run, the source told Bloomberg members of leadership that Musk axed also include uh, Vijaya Gaddy, the head of legal policy and trust who made the decision to ban Trump and many other decisions about how Twitter operates, Chief Financial Officer Ned Siegel, and Se and Sean Edgett, General Counsel at Twitter. So he got rid of the folks that operate that moderation policy that made Twitter have the decisions that it had and the current CEO, the replacement for Jack Dorsey as of last November. 
As of earlier this week, Twitter employees protested Musk's plans to dismiss or replace as much as 75% of the staff. Now, we're going to use that as our jumping off point because that's another area that I didn't cover in yesterday's Hangouts and Headlines episode because it was still a little bit unclear when and if this deal would happen. Now that it has happened, we can look at things a little bit more closely, including the Washington Post's exclusive from about a week ago that said, documents detail plans to gut Twitter's workforce. And Washington Post reports Twitter's workforce is likely to be hit with massive cuts in the coming months. Honestly, in any leveraged buyout scenario, which this is a very leveraged scenario, indeed, lots of debt, billions of dollars of debt now put on Twitter and Elon Musk's payments all going out to the various shareholders, allowing Twitter to survive as a private company, but having to figure out how to make money better and faster. No matter who owns the company, interviews and documents obtained by the Washington Post show a change likely to have major impact on its ability to control harmful content and prevent data security crises. Now, this is interesting. Because primarily what they have is a notion that Elon Musk wants to cut the workforce. That is expected in basically any takeover of this type. 75% would be extreme, but certainly a lot of employees are going to be nervous about whether or not they're going to have a job in the coming weeks or months because of a takeover in management like this one. The Washington Post reports on it as affecting their ability to do things at Twitter, and that's exactly the line of attack that the employees themselves have. So one does wonder, is an anonymous leak like this exactly where that information came from? Elon Musk told prospective investors in his deal to buy the company that he planned to get rid of nearly 75% of Twitter's 7,500 workers, whittling the company down to a skeleton staff of just over 2,000. Now, outside of calling 2,000 people a skeleton staff, it is notable to go from a number like 7,500 to 2,000. I suspect If you're Elon Musk, you look at Twitter, what it does, how it operates, and ask the question, what exactly is it that you do here for 7,500 people? It doesn't seem like the type of company that needs that level of workforce, but who knows? I can't speak to that. I'm not in the room, and maybe it needs 7,500 people to do what it does right now, but also maybe Musk doesn't want it to continue doing what it does right now. And the rest of this is covered in a paywall, which is fine. But this is what the employees react to in an open letter that was disclosed to Time uh, this Monday, I believe. So as this is all coming to fruition, employees at Twitter are circulating an open letter protesting Elon Musk's plan to fire as much as 75% of the company's workforce as the deadline for him to complete his acquisition of the company looms. Musk must complete the acquisition by Friday or face the resumption of a lawsuit in Delaware court. Again, as I said yesterday, the purpose of which would be to force him to close the deal. So do it or we'll make you. Not very compelling on the date, but he got it done. Elon Musk told prospective funders of his Twitter acquisition that he planned to replace or eradicate the jobs of nearly 75% of Twitter staff. Now that's interesting language there. That's not a workforce cut. Replacement isn't. It's changing out people for people that you'd prefer in those positions. The Washington Post reported Musk has previously claimed that the social media company is bloated and has also said its workforce has a strong left-wing bias. That's certainly been the accusation of how Twitter has operated in the past. Time reviewed a draft of the open letter circulating among Twitter employees. They read it for us. We don't need time to read it for us. We can look at primary source material here in virtual legality. The full text of the open letter. Staff, Elon Musk, and board. We The undersigned Twitter workers, which is an opening that is interesting as it implies that it's all of them, believe the public conversation is in jeopardy. Elon Musk's plan to lay off 75% of Twitter's workers will hurt Twitter's ability to serve the public conversation. A threat of this magnitude is reckless, 
undermines our users and customers' trust in our platform and is a transparent act of worker intimidation. Twitter has significant effects on societies and communities across the globe. As we speak, Twitter is helping to uplift independent journalism in Ukraine and Iran, as well as powering social movements around the world. Our jobs are so necessary and important that to threaten to fire us, and 75%, they might have a case, but it should be less, it should be more uh, detailed, it should be mitigated, but what we'll see at the end of this is they want to keep the entirety of the workforce as it stands right now, that our jobs are so important they can't be modified at all, or you risk global international upheaval. Look, I like Twitter. I like to use Twitter. I think it is a useful tool. I also think it is a hellscape. I've said this before in other spaces, it's a hellscape from which there is no escape because you put certain amounts of investment in there and you use it to advertise things like virtual legality episodes or whatever it is you're doing with your law firm, if you also have a law firm yourself. And uh, it is often a useful tool to make those kinds of connections. That said, society got along for a long time without Twitter and society could get along for a long time with a competitor, rival, or other form of Twitter. So we're already starting off in a bad place, and that's before we start getting to the list of demands. Twitter has significant effects on those societies. A threat to workers at Twitter is a threat to Twitter's future. Now, this I actually think is true, right? The problem, if you're Elon Musk, with buying a social media company, a tech company of really any kind that doesn't make things, which Elon Musk hasn't really been involved in before, right? SpaceX, you don't have to love, they make things. Tesla, you don't have to love, they make things. Twitter lives on services. It is a pure knowledge company. So a threat to Twitter's workers is a threat to Twitter as it exists today and its future. But you're kind of talking to the wall because what Elon Musk has said is the reason why he purchased this thing, just look at his message to the advertisers, is to kill off Twitter as it exists today. And part of that is going to be, yes, if Twitter is comprised entirely of its workers, if it's a service and knowledge-based company, then I'm going to want to swap out some of that service or knowledge if I think this company has gone in the wrong direction, which is realistically the only reason you can justify spending $44 billion is if you think the company and its assets are going the wrong direction and you can do something better with them. Whether that's monetarily, which I think is still probably the end goal, or whether it's some kind of pay on to the glories of humanity and civilization, as he suggests to advertisers, either way, you're doing it because you want to change its direction in some fundamental fashion. So while true, probably not terribly persuasive. These threats have an impact on us as workers, sure, and demonstrate a fundamental disconnect with the realities of operating Twitter. And here's that disconnect, I tend to agree, but it's with these workers thinking that Elon Musk wants to run Twitter as it has been running. They threaten our livelihoods, Granted, nobody likes to get laid off. Access to essential healthcare benefits and the ability for visa holders to stay in the country they work in. Yes, it is good to have a job and getting fired is bad. Totally granted. We cannot do our work in an environment of constant harassment and threats. This is an escalation. Where, where does that come from? Right? He's talking to his investors about how he plans to make this business deal make sense. Part of that is going to be cost-cutting measures. You don't have to like it. You can look at him as a robber baron. Spoiler alert, the next article we're going to look at calls him a robber baron. <laughs> but, but that's the nature of a purchase of this type. And he's going to have to sell. He had to sell to get the debt collected and paid out to the various shareholders that he had a plan for having this company somehow succeed. And that plan included cutting costs. Without our work, there is no Twitter. And again, I don't know that that's wrong, but Twitter here should be Twitter Prime. You should think about it as Twitter One. Twitter One. 
Elon Musk wants Twitter too. You could think he's going to fail. You could think he's naive. You could think he's silly or stupid and it's not going to work. All of that is fine, but it is clear from the ground that he wants Twitter too, not Twitter one. And so, yeah, he's going to be changing out some folks. We, the workers at Twitter, will not be intimidated. Okay? We recommit to supporting the communities, organizations, and businesses who rely on Twitter. Okay? We will not stop serving the public conversation. I, if you're fired, you will, right? You don't have access to the way Twitter operates. We call on Twitter management and Elon Musk to cease these negligent layoff threats. Now, hold on. I thought it was harassment and threats. That's, that's an intentional act. So in terms of writing your letter, just from a legal perspective, that's not negligence. Uh, negligence is a mistake. Uh, it's something that you do when you don't have a reasonable amount of care. Uh, these are, at least according to you, intimidation attempts uh, to get you off your game. So you got to kind of pick a road here, whether it's negligent or intentional. As workers, we deserve concrete commitments so we can continue to preserve the integrity of our platform. Look, folks. You signed a contract. Whatever that contract said is your commitment. Maybe you're at will. Maybe you got a term contract. I don't know. I did not negotiate your position for you. I understand this is scary. I understand that this sucks. This isn't going to work. This is essentially going to be a roadmap for dissidents that Elon Musk may well use to go and find out who he needs to fire first. We demand of current and future leadership. Always troubling. Always troubling to demand these things. We demand leadership to respect the platform. Okay and the workers who maintain it by committing to preserving the current headcount. Okay, see, now you're going too far, right? So first of all, he's already breached it. We just talked about the fact he fired the CEO, the CFO, the head of legal, and the general counsel. Uh, and so, well, that, was, that headcount is gone. Now, that's entirely to be expected. You buy a company, you change out the management. That's what you bought. You bought new management. Uh, and so he's not going to be preserving the current headcount, which puts him in an awkward place. This would put anybody in an awkward place. You don't have to like Elon Musk. I've said in tweets and other places, I don't really love the way he kind of operates on the periphery of what I would consider rule abiding or law abiding. He goes and says things that I wouldn't suggest saying. He maybe makes his counsel tear out their hair in various offices around financial centers across the world. But, but he's not going to preserve the current headcount. You could argue, hey, keep it to 10%. You could argue, hey, let's make sure that you are very cautious and careful about what you do and you don't just swing your ax around like a crazy person, that we need better morale here and you are killing that, which is going to make your transition harder. You can persuade on this kind of stuff. You can't just say, no, we need to be exactly the same. Forget your $44 billion because that's never, ever, ever going to play. Safety. We demand that leadership does not discriminate against workers on the basis of their race, gender, disability, sexual orientation, or political beliefs. Uh, until we got to political beliefs, all of this is already covered uh, by the Civil Rights Act, the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution, all that good stuff already covered uh, under the laws. Political beliefs, very specifically not covered. And in fact, part of the discussion is what, if any right, these various platforms should have to be able to just moderate away political beliefs that they don't like. Twitter has hit the button pretty hard on this. They ban President Trump. They curtail all access to things like the Hunter Biden laptop just before that election. All things that we've talked about here in virtual legality and all things that in general, as a business transactions lawyer, I defend as the right of the platform to do. Much to the chagrin of some of my colleagues on YouTube, I look at it and say, yes, 
that's a platform. It can decide its rules and we have to abide by it while understanding its risks. And we can complain about those things and the way that they are applied, just as I make videos and commentary and critiques of places like Twitter and YouTube and Facebook. But end of the day, they generally have the right to do that. So Elon Musk isn't going to commit to this. And it's somewhat ironic because Twitter has otherwise been using its ability to craft ambiguous terms to hit all sorts of political beliefs, not limited to Republicans or conservatives, by the way, but to hit all sorts of political beliefs that it just doesn't like. We also demand safety for workers on visas. It's unclear what safety means here, who will be forced to leave the country they work in if they are laid off, which is kind of a standard problem for visa holders that do get laid off, but it doesn't change. You don't have an obligation if you're Twitter to make sure that people don't have to leave the country if you no longer require their services or don't otherwise value their contributions. So these requests are just very, very difficult for anyone to take seriously. And they're written so stridently that it's clearly going to be a friction point from moment one as Elon Musk takes over Twitter. Protection. We demand Elon Musk explicitly commit to preserve our benefits, those both listed in the merger agreement and not, for example, remote work. We demand leadership to establish and ensure fair severance policies for all workers before and after any change in ownership. Now, I will tell you this, as I said, business transactions guy, most on the line employees are not getting severance benefits, or at least not severance benefits that are of terrible significance. I don't know what's in the Twitter employees' uh, contracts. I don't know what is in their handbook. I don't know what standard severance looks like in San Francisco or at Twitter itself. But in terms of preserving benefits, he bought a new company. Whatever you have as contract rights, you're going to get, I'm almost sure. Uh, but he's going to be reevaluating how the structure of the company works. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. There's plenty of new management of new companies that everybody hates, right? Half the internet outlets that provide video game news or media news or pop culture news get taken over by private hedge funds or venture capital firms or equity plays of some kind or another and immediately screw up the entire business model, immediately. And we don't have to like it. We can comment on it. But as the employees, we can have sympathy. We can have empathy. Hey, you put your life's work, your blood, your sweat, and your tears into this company, and now it looks like it's all going a different direction. I can have absolute sympathy and empathy for that particular situation, but this isn't going to work. You're not going to get more benefits. You're not going to preserve your headcount. Uh, this was all about changing Twitter 1 to Twitter 2. Dignity. We demand transparent, prompt, and thoughtful communication around our working conditions, which I think is justified. Yeah. Send us emails. We demand to be treated with dignity, okay, and to not be treated as mere pawns in a game played by billionaires. Again, what is the purpose of this letter? We talk about this surely in headlines. We also talk about messaging in virtual legality here. What is the purpose? You're trying to convince Elon Musk because this is not going to do that. The demand language itself is strident. And then you essentially accuse him of playing games with your lives uh, in a game played by billionaires. That's not going to convince him to go in your direction. So if you had any attempt to try to convince Elon Musk or Twitter of going a separate direction with this, that's been put by the wayside. So it strikes me that this letter is primarily a marketing piece, that it's primarily to be leaked to places like Time. And while I can get behind that, if that's what you want to accomplish, it's definitely not going to change the way that Twitter operates. So look, I get it. It's a tough situation. This is all wild. You thought for a little while that he wasn't going to purchase Twitter. Twitter then went very hard to make sure that he did in fact purchase them, get that shareholder value and get out. 
Agarwal is said to make $40 million for effectively less than a year of work on this and good for him, I guess. Uh, but when we, when we talk about this, you can absolutely hate Elon Musk. But if your attempt was to rhetorically convince him to do something else, it's going to have exactly that opposite effect. Then we get opinion pieces in places like the New York Times. The robber barons had nothing on Elon Musk yesterday, the day he purchases Twitter. Elon Musk is now the proud owner of Twitter. The danger here is not that we have a rogue billionaire in our midst. That has happened before and it will happen again, but that this one will be in control of what he has rightly referred to as our digital town square. Folks, people need to stop aggrandizing Twitter. I like it. Media, technology, social media especially has a history of being upended by the next competitor that's better at what it does. So just like was said before Elon Musk owned Twitter, you can create another platform. Yes, network effects are strong. If it becomes a hellscape that just doesn't function, substitution in tech and social media is one of the easiest industries to substitute out of. That you go to the next place or the next place or the next place. Go ask MySpace how they're feeling about their business model. And Facebook will tell you, hey, they don't like it much. Then go ask Facebook how they're feeling about their business model. And they'll tell you, "Eh, it's not great. It's not great, Bob. Mr. Musk is the face of a 21st century tech-based extreme capitalism, just as the robber barons who built our railroads and Andrew Carnegie who supplied those railroads and the builders of modern American cities with steel embodied the exuberant and expansive industrial capitalism of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. That's an interesting poll. I wouldn't necessarily compare him to Andrew Carnegie. Oh, wait, Mr. Nassau, the author of this opinion piece, is also the author of a book called Andrew Carnegie. It's all coming together. And when you study robber barons, you tend to see robber barons everywhere you look. Mr. Musk has exploited the opportunities emerging in a rapidly disintegrating regulatory state apparatus. I don't, I don't think there's ever been a strong level of regulatory control over social media, but that's fine. And acquired a small army of investors and a fleet of lobbyists, lawyers, and fanboys known as musketeers. Is that true? Hey, if you're a fan of Elon Musk, is that really what fans of Elon Musk go by? I haven't seen that in any of my comments, but it's amusing. He has sought to position himself as a tech genius who can break the rules, exploit and excise those who work for them, ridicule those who stand in his way and do as he wishes with his wealth because it benefits humanity. He'll rescue the planet with his electric cars and save Ukraine with his satellite systems, but he must be freed of government interference to do these good deeds. And at least as he comports himself, I think this is a generalized, maybe a little bit hyperbolic, but accurate description of what Elon Musk does. He frames what business concern he is otherwise pursuing as grand as visionary, as futuristic. I'm going to send humanity to Mars. We're going to be on electric cars. We are going to save civilization with Twitter. And he does do that. And it's a very effective way of marketing himself clearly across the online ecosystem because I I still get messages that say I'm not beholden enough to Elon Musk when I do videos like this one. For more than two centuries, American moguls like Mr. Musk have transformed our economy and our daily lives and enriched themselves by playing a winning game with governments. They sought and received from those governments enormous subsidies and protection while demanding that they be left alone to conduct their business as they please. Elon Musk has received more in subsidies than probably every single person watching this video will ever get in salary for their lifetime. That is true. The railroad robber barons built their fortunes on government-supplied land on which they laid their tracks and then collected government subsidies for every mile of it. More on Carnegie, more on Carnegie, more on Carnegie. Let's get back to Elon Musk opinion. In August 2018, he tweeted that he was considering taking Tesla private. He got essentially fined by the SEC. That created a whole thing and a question about freedom of speech and its interactions with the SEC. 
We've got references to Joseph P. Kennedy. Mr. Musk has no such fears and no such scruples as to how to use securities and securities prices. As The Economist noted in April, Mr. Musk promotes the idea that the normal rules of investment do not apply. He paints stewards of fair play, regulators and boards as pettifogging enemies of progress. Well, look, I've worked with a lot of third-party regulatory agencies. I will tell you, sometimes they're great. There's a lot of good people working at them. Sometimes they are pettifogging enemies of progress. Sometimes they don't know what they're looking at. Certainly the SEC has not covered itself in glory as a lot of the economy transfers over to things like cryptocurrency, digital coins, and that because they can't otherwise get around what it is that their statutory ambit is, and that has created all sorts of gray area that people are rightly exploiting. The SEC needs to be a little bit clearer about what its power and regulatory authority is, or folks like Elon Musk are going to come in and say, you have no idea. The likely consequences of Mr. Musk's Twitter ownership will be political as well as economic disruption. By declaring that he intends to allow Donald Trump back on the site, he has signaled his opposition to policing it for political disinformation and misinformation. He has identified himself as a free speech absolutist and has repeated several times that he opposes and will limit censorship and will likely loosen content moderation rules. Now, the New York Times here, in their opinion piece, is putting forth that that's going to cause economic and political disruption. But obviously, there is a grand class of folks, whether it's Elon Musk or his brethren or his lobbyists or his bankers or what have you, that look at Twitter and say it has gone too far. That, as I've said here in virtual legality, the problem with misinformation and disinformation policing is that you need somebody sitting somewhere deciding what's misinformation and what's disinformation. Things like the COVID-19 pandemic made clear how problematic that is, where the news was changing by the day and things that are now essentially commonly known, like the origins of COVID-19, as we just saw from some government documents the other day, were not allowed to even be postulated on places like Twitter or YouTube or Facebook because it was misinformation or disinformation. And that's not a good and useful way to have discourse in the United States. Now, other jurisdictions can disagree. But because that's going to be a problem, because I'm going to continue in virtual legality and hangouts and headlines and everything else we do on this channel to advocate for your own critical thinking and to not have platforms otherwise just strip you of your ability to see other things that might offend that platform. Well, this sounds okay to me, even understanding that there's going to be a substantial amount of additional language that's honestly going to, legal term of art here, suck. It is not unreasonable to expect that a Musk-owned and controlled Twitter will, in the name of free speech, allow disinformation and misinformation to be tweeted ad infinitum so long as it discredits his political opponents and celebrates and enriches himself and his allies. Now, that's bringing a certain amount of negativity towards the Elon Musk experiment on its own, right? I would argue that this is editorializing. Obviously, this is an editorial, so that's not really the proper way to talk about this, but this is going further than the evidence so far suggests. Elon Musk goes out there and says, I'm basically inclined to allow everything. He tells advertisers, we are going to try to figure out buttons to have different experiences on Twitter. I have no idea whether that is going to work. But then you apply to Elon Musk that he's going to hurt his political opponents and celebrate the things that help him. That might be going too far, at least as what we have on statements right now. Certainly, if that does happen, I'll be the first in line to criticize his hypocrisy if he uses Twitter in that way. Mr. Musk is correct that free speech must be honored and protected, but is it not time that we as a people and a nation, speaking of self-aggrandizing, engage in a wide-ranging, inclusive public debate on when and how free speech creates a clear and present danger, as Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. wrote a century ago, 
which isn't quite accurate for the current interpretation of the First Amendment, but fine. And whether we need government to find a way through law or regulation or persuasion to prevent this from happening. Query, what exactly is government persuasion? And if it doesn't hold, when does that become regulation or worse? I, I, I have questions, but I will answer this particular author's uh, question, which is, is it not time that we try to figure out whether we need government to prevent things like misinformation and disinformation? It is not. Uh, I will advocate for that. That's a political stance here on this channel, I suppose, but it is intended to be politically neutral as to the parties and their various stances. It is not time to give either the Republicans or the Democrats the keys to the kingdom to tell you what you should not be allowed to hear. I will stand by that. Elon Musk is a product of his and our times. Rather than debate or deride his influence, I think you were deriding his influence, we must recognize that he is not the self-made genius businessman he plays in the media. I'll grant this. Instead, his success was prompted and paid for by taxpayer money and abetted by government officials who have allowed him and other billionaire businessmen to exercise more and more control over our economy and our politics. And my base answer here is it's Twitter, man. You should be happy that Elon Musk, at least from afar, looks to have burned at least a quarter of his wealth on Twitter. Twitter, right? If you are worried about people like Elon Musk, he would look less strong right now in a lot of ways, certainly in terms of financial strength. And we will see what he does with this platform because as of right now, primarily what I'm seeing across it is dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. That's day one of the Twitter takeover. We will undoubtedly do more videos on this as Elon Musk makes whatever moves he makes. As of right now, Elon Musk, the sole owner of the privately held social media platform corporation, Twitter, has fired most of the upper management, and we will just have to wait to see what he does next. As I mentioned, this is a channel supported by viewers and listeners like you. Please do check out our Utreon and our Patreon to see if you're interested in helping support this and for other viewers and listeners like you. If none of those interest you, just subscribe, tell your friends, ring bells, upvote, downvote, leave comments, basically engage with YouTube. It just loves it uh, when you tease it with some engagement. And all of that helps make this channel more popular, and get it and these conversations out to more and more people. If you did catch us on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.